Well, as we dig into the Word, I want to uh, say hello to our Facebook Live folks who are joining us, and uh, if you have something you'd like to share with us, any questions you have, prayer requests that we can pray for, they can certainly just uh, email us at churchoffice at hopechapelsterling.org, and we'd love to kind of get your feedback and, and be a part of that. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. We, we don't have a huge group that watches it in real time with us, kind of 10, 15 people, give or take a little bit, but through the course of the first couple of weeks, we have two to 300 people who view the video on a regular basis, so it's really been a, a great outreach for us as we go forward, and and I, I always appreciate some of the comments we get from them, and certainly I, 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 I give you thanks for the feedback that I've been getting about the series that we've been in entitled Great Questions. You know, I, I try to be a little cooler, we've been calling it GQ, at least that I have, because so, that sounds a little better than that, but, but we've been exploring for the last three weeks, and today will be our fourth and, and final week, of, of looking at some of the great questions that the Bible asks and how it answers those questions. And today's question's a lot different than the other three that we've already looked at. And, and here's, here's why I, I say that. Up to this point in time, the questions that we have explored from the Scriptures, how we answer those questions for ourselves primarily affects us. Now, not exclusively, because it can affect people who are immediately around us, but primarily it affects us. Like the question of, what must I do to be saved? Or which we also phrased as, what must I do to have eternal life, to inherit eternal life? And, and, and how you answer that question, whether you want to agree with what the Scripture teaches or go some other path, the person who's going to be impacted by that decision primarily is you. Not exclusively, but primarily. Same with the question about what is truth. You know, seeing truth is something that comes from above, something we need to look upwards for rather than inwards for. That truth is something that sets us free. Whether or not you decide to, to embrace biblical truth, or whether you think you can find truth somewhere else, the person who's going to experience the primary repercussions of, those, of that decision is yourself. Now, it certainly can affect those around you, but primarily it's you. Same with the question that we looked at last week when we said, you know, what is it that God expects of us? What does God require of us, right? If we admit there is a God and therefore he's up there with a set of expectations and we look at it as what is it that God wants from us so that we can actually experience or receive all that he has for us, how you answer that question for yourself, whether you follow through on what God has said to us, the person who's going to be impacted by that the most is yourself. But today's question is totally different, because how you answer this question is primarily going to affect all the people that you know and the people that you're going to come to know in the years ahead. Because the question we're going to look at today is the question that God asked Isaiah when he showed up in the life of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, and when God said, well, whom can I send? Whom shall I send? Who's going to go for us? And I'd love for you to grab your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 6. And if you're using one of the Bibles, it's underneath your chair. It's on page 578 in your Bible. If you're using one of your own Bibles and you're not exactly sure where Isaiah is, if you kind of get in the middle where Psalms is, if you go to the right, you're certainly going to find Isaiah because it's 66 chapters. So there's plenty of pages for you to see the name Isaiah at the top of the list as you go through. And, and I want to read this text for us, just kind of get it out for us, and then we'll go back and look a little bit of the context, some ways that we could process it, and then I want to look at it specifically through our lens today of this question that God asks of Isaiah, who can I send? Who will go for us? 
Because I think God's asking us the same question. He's saying, can I, can I send you? Will you go? Will you be? And it's not just in cross-cultural trips, but who we are in our own world. So let me just read these 13 verses for us. So in the year that King Uzziah died, it's a big contextual thing. We'll come back there in just a minute. It kind of opens the whole, whole experience up to understand what God's doing here. He says, says, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and lofty throne, and his robe filled the temple. Seraphim were standing above him. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one was calling out to the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. His glory fills the whole earth. The foundations of the doorway shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah speaking, he said, woe is me, you know, I'm ruined. He says, you know, because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it. And this is what he said. Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then, it was at that moment, that I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, this again is Isaiah saying, Here I am. Send me. And he replied, Go. And this is what I want you to say to the people. Keep listening, but do not understand. Keep looking, but don't perceive. Dull the minds of the people. Deafen their ears and blind their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their minds and turn back and be healed. Then I said, until when, Lord? You know, I think Isaiah said, this is not a great job description, God. How, how long do you want me to do this job? And God says, you know, and, and he says, until the cities lie in ruins without inhabitants. Houses are without people. The land is ruined and desolate. And the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak, which leaves a stump when fell, but the holy seed is the stump. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, this little phrase at the beginning, in the year that King Uzziah died, really sets the tone for the entire chapter. And for a lot of us, we just read it, it's kind of, all right, great, you know, all right, we can, we can post date it. We know when this experience happened kind of thing. It's like a mark on the calendar. But it's far more than that for Isaiah. See, you know, Isaiah at this point in time, he's at the beginning of his journey. Isaiah served as a prophet for a long time, lived into old age, right? But, but Isaiah's younger at this point in time. He, he's maybe 20, 25, 30. We don't know exactly, maybe a little older, maybe a little younger. But he's right around that time frame, and he's a younger guy. And the only king that he has ever known is this guy by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah has been the king of Israel for 52 years. 52 years. I mean, that's a long time, right? And, 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 and when he came in, Uzziah was still a young man. He was really a teenager. 
And his dad was alive, but his dad was sick. The prior king was, was sick. And so they were kind of like co-regents. His dad really couldn't do the du- duties and that kind of stuff. And so Uzziah had to kind of step up to the role. And he chose originally to allow himself to be influenced by the prophet Zechariah. So out throughout his 52 years of his history, he had really been a godly king. And God had blessed it. The country had prospered. There was, nas- there was security. There was... There was a, a spiritual abundance. There was a lot of great things happening. Even after Uzziah had, a, had his own moment of just kind of crossing himself up with God. We read in the book of Second Kings, there was a time when things were really going great, whatever, and Uzziah kind of got a little full of himself, and he goes into the temple, and he decides to take on the role of a priest himself and offer incense to God on the altar, and God strikes him with leprosy. And even though he continues to reign and work with his son, and he stays faithful to God, he's, he's suffered the judgment of God for being disobedient. But the nation is flourishing, and so he dies. And, 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 and Isaiah is looking around and saying, you know, the Assyrians are getting stronger and stronger. They've just taken this city to the north of us. They're moving this way. You know, this new guy, you know, he's got no track record. We don't know what he's going to do. And, 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 and we knew we could trust you. And, and, and he is fearful. He's just uncertain. He, he doesn't know what the future holds, and he doesn't know who's going to hold the future, right? So he goes to the temple seeking God. And, and what does God do? He says, yeah, I know you're missing your earthly king, but just take a look, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm, I'm the heavenly king. I'm sitting on a throne. You know, I, I got my own entourage. You know, my robe fills all, and, and God reveals himself to Isaiah exactly the way that Isaiah needed to see him. He says, you're worried about who's in control and what the future's going to happen and that kind of stuff. He says, I get to, I'm still here. I'm not moving. I'm in charge. You know, I, I don't know if we can really relate to this kind of an experience. Maybe, maybe 9-11 is the closest things that we had. Maybe some of you are aware of the fact that after the 9-11 event in 2001, church attendance surged, but only for a short season of time. In fact, they said that in those first month, two months after 9-11, they said probably close to 50% of adult Americans went to church. Now, there wasn't, they weren't really able to get a lot of statistics from a lot of churches, but, but you know, because well, there's just so many of them, a lot of them really small and that kind of stuff. But, but some of the churches that kind of gave some feedback as they did some surveys, some of you read a lot of materials from a guy by the name of Tim Keller who serves a church in New York City. And his church in those days would average about 24, 2,500. And for the weeks following 9-11, as you can imagine, in New York City, their attendance was well over 5,000. There was a church in Texas, and they do things big in Texas, right? So their average attendance in the, in the Metroplex was, this church was about ten to 12,000. And in the weeks following 9-11, they had over 20,000 people a weekend. You know? And so just, I mean, people are like, we don't know what's going to happen. And they go seek into the one who can control what happens, right? We're going to go this week... Um, uh, on Wednesday night, we fly out for Rwanda, and we'll get there early on Friday morning, actually Thursday night, kind of Friday morning. And the guy who's the president of, Kagame, uh, of, of Rwanda right now is a guy by the name of Paul Kagame. You know, and, and so if many of you are aware that in 1994, there was a major genocide in Rwanda, and 800,000 Rwandans, Tutsis, died in a 100-span day. And Kagame was the head of the army that came in from Uganda and put an end to the genocide. And he's basically been the leader of the country ever since, 
right? So that's pushing 24 years now, right? And so originally he was kind of like a head of an interim government, and then he, and then he, and then he, then he adopted a new constitution, and he served two terms as a president. But now they've, they've changed the constitution. So in, so in order to implement the constitution, they've created a 10-year interim period where he can be president. And then after that, he can still run for two more seven-year terms. And so he can actually be the right, lawfully... Um, elected president of Uganda, I mean, no, sorry, of Rwanda, for seven-year terms all the way till 2034. So if I look from 94 to 34, that's 40 years, right? You know, and, and what the people of Rwanda are saying is this. We know all the good things that are happening, but what we really trust is him. That's ex- what Isaiah was experiencing. They, they, they knew all this good stuff was happening and et cetera, and, and et cetera, but they knew it was all happening because Uzziah was walking with God. And, and Isaiah is just terrified. And so he goes into the temple. And so we come to our text where he has this experience. He shows up. He's in need. He's, he's crying out to God. And God reveals himself exactly the way Isaiah needed him to. He says, I'm the king of kings. You've got nothing to worry about. And there's lots of ways to process this text, right? I mean, if you want to study what worship is all about, this is a great text to look at. Worship is not showing up, sitting in those chairs, and keeping from falling asleep for 65 minutes and then walking out. That is not worship, right? what, What worship is, is coming in, having an encounter with God, conviction of sin, hearing from God, responding to God, and going out and doing something about it. That's what worship is. Right? That this, is a, this, is a, this is an opportunity for us to worship. This is not a guarantee that any of us are going to worship. Right? You could go in and you could look at it. And you could look at, we can go in here and talk about the nature of God. Right? You know, who shall go for me? Whom shall I send who will go for us? Right? So you get the whole Trinity thing going on, right? And then you got the, you're sitting on a throne and a seraphim, the holy holies, and whatever. What does all that stuff mean? And you can look at, you can process a lot of things about who God is out of that. There's some pieces in here even about human responsibility, where Isaiah is going to go out and say, you know what? He, he says, I want you to go out and speak, but you know what? As you speak, the people aren't going to get it. He says, their minds are going to be dull, their eyes, their, their spiritual vision is going to be distorted, their ears are going to be impaired. They're, they're not going to get it. And so you have this whole thing between the sovereignty. You've got all these different pieces. But I want to simply look at it today through a few simple questions that explore this question of whom shall I send and who will go for us? And here's the first question I want us to ask is, who, who's doing the asking? Who is the one who is asking, whom shall I send? Who is the one that's asking who will go for us? And, and what I want us to capture out of this, we, the one who asks us to go in his name is the one who has the position and the title and the authority and the credibility and the list could go on and on. He is in the position to ask us of that. This is not just a suggestion if it comes from a colleague or somebody down the food chain, but this is the guy who's at the top of it. He's, he's above the chairman of the board, and he's saying to us, this is my question. God has the authority. He, he, he has the position. He's the one who sits on the throne. It's a throne that's going to last forever. He's totally different from us because he's, he's, he's holy. You know, he's got these, the, you know, he's worthy of our worship and, and, his, and his presence filled. This is the God who is in the position to say, who's going to go for us? He has the authority. He has the right to ask us 
that question. Sometimes we think, I, I, you know, who's got God has the right to ask us that question. Who is, who is the one doing the asking? It's the one who has the right. The second question is, why is he asking? Why does anybody need to go in the first place? Right? And, and you really, what you really pick it up on is in verse 5, in Isaiah's response, right? He, he goes into the temple, and, he, and he, he's seeking God. He says, God, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah's gone. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm fearful, et cetera. You know, you're gonna... and, and, and he has this opening, right? And he, and, he, and he gets to see into heaven, if you will, and see the royal, you know, the, the heavenly throne room, and et cetera. And his first reaction is, I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. He said, you know, woe is me. I, I don't even know if we have an English term that really conveys the word. Of this. He said, you know, I, I, I am in absolute spiritual peril here, right? I'm ruined. I'm hopeless. Why? Because I'm a man of unclean lips and everybody around me. I live in a nation, a whole community of people who have unclean lips. Now, it is interesting to ask, well, why does he go to the, why does he go to the mouth, right? You know, and you know, it could be that, that Isaiah senses, you know what, we've just been giving God lip service, right? I mean, we go through, we play, we come into the temple, we offer up our sacrifices, this and that. Say, hey, God, you're great, we love you, whatever. And then we walk out the door and we just live like he's not even there. And it could be that, that, that Isaiah is very aware of the lip service that he and the nation have been given to God. It's probably more likely that God zeroes him in on the uncleanliness, the sinfulness of his own mouth because that's the instrument that God's going to use because Isaiah's going to become a prophet, right? And so that's the part that he comes over and he touches. He says, you know, you were unclean lip. You didn't have the ability to speak for me because you were sinful, but I have cleansed you and now you're able to. But the reason why God asks for somebody to go is because people are ruined, if they ever get into the presence of God without being forgiven. It, it's, it's a scary place to be. It's a scary place to be. And, and, and here is God has opened up this door. Isaiah sees his vision. And immediately when he's in the presence of, his holiness, of God's holiness, he is acutely aware of his own sinfulness. And he says, I got no hope. I got no hope. And that's why God asks for somebody to go because he wants people to have hope you know we we can look at romans chapter 10 here and you know paul's been kind of un, un kind of un, unwrapping the whole gospel explaining it etc and he's talking about the necessity of belief the for people to hear the message of hope and respond to it and what he simply says is you know if they never hear right how are they going to believe? And, if they don't, and, 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 and how are they going to hear from somebody if somebody doesn't go, if they're not sent? So let me just read these verses to you, and I think they're going to come up on the screen for you. And you don't need to turn there, but, but I want, I just, you know, there's such, just such power in God's word as we speak, but as he, he says it to us. But in, in, in Romans chapter 10, he says, but he's talking here about the necessity of belief. He says, but how are they going to call on God if they have not believed? In other words, if they haven't heard the message and wanted to respond to it, how, how are they going to call on God? And how can they believe if they haven't heard about him, right? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how is it they preach unless they are sent? And all of that is to say the reason why God is asking 
whom shall I send? It's because he wants his people to go. And with that, people can hear. And as they hear, they can believe. And as they believe, they can call on God. And with that, they'll move from a position where they're not in woe, they're not ruined, but they're actually forgiven and atoned for. That's why God asks, right? Let's ask the third. Who, who, who is God asking? So, you know, we, we, we got who's doing the asking, and this is why he's asking, but who is he asking? And, and here's the answer to that question. God wants those who've experienced forgiveness to be the ones who offer forgiveness to others. Isaiah is not equipped to be God's voice, to be sent until he's actually been forgiven by God. In order for you to be able to be the one who's sent, you have to be, you have to have had the experience that you're actually sent to offer to others. Does, does that make sense? I mean, you know, I, I'm going to go to Rwanda next week and that kind of stuff. I've been there many times. I can tell you all kinds of stories from there. I could also probably read a book and watch a film and look at a few pictures and tell you about what it's like to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, but that doesn't mean I've ever experienced it, right? What God wants is those of us who have experienced the forgiveness that have, in, in using the language of, of Isaiah, though, the one who's had the seraphim come and fly over and touch our lips and say, you know what, you're forgiven, it's all gone, you're good, you're, good. you're not in trouble anymore. He said, those are the ones he wants to go and share. And Paul picked up on this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, where, where you know, as, as, um, you know he, he's talking about the fact that, you know, if we're new creatures in Christ, right? And, and as a result of that, he says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus, and those he has reconciled, he has now given the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, you and I are supposed to be the ambassadors. The people that he's asking are you and I. The ones who have said, I believe in Jesus. I want to go to heaven and have eternal life. We are the ones that God's asking. Not not asking for some special subgroup. It's not whatever. The ones that God wants to send. The ones whom God is asking the question, who shall I send? He's asking that question of everyone who's experienced new life through faith in Jesus Christ. That's who he's asking, right? Now, let me ask one more question, right? So what is he asking? You know, we know who's asking. We know why he's asking it. He knows we're asking it of us as the people who've experienced new life in Christ. We've experienced that forgiveness. He wants us to go out. So what is he really asking us to do? And, you know, as I kind of hinted at earlier, it's, it's really not... The prettiest picture, what he's asking us to do. So, you know, he, he says, you know what? I want you to go out and, and, and look at verse 9. It says, Isaiah says, you know, here am I, send me. And God says, well, go and say to these people. God simply is asking us to go out and tell others what he's already said to us. God's asking us to go out and tell others what he has already said to us. And that, well, that sounds easy. God says, eh. You know, you're going to go out, and, 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 and it, it's not going to be an easy road. You, you're going to go out, and you're going you're gonna to think, and, and, and they're going to listen, but they're not going to get it. And sometimes they're even going to get angry and fight back. You're, you're going to show them things, but they're not going to see it. 
You're going to explain things, it's going to make sense to them, and they're going to twist it all around and make it something totally different. Because their minds, their spiritual hearts are dull. It's a tough word. So God is asking us as his people to step in the thing and simply tell others what he has already told us. But up front, he's telling us this is going to take commitment and perseverance because it's not going to be easy. Now, I told the first service, you know, there's a couple things that I would really kind of lay out here, you know, for us in this area, you know, about who is he asking, and he's, he's asking us to make this commitment and to, and to persevere in this proclamation. But there's a part of me who wants to say, you know, if, if you're not going, it, God wants us to have credibility as we do this. So here's a, if, if, if you're going to say, I have faith in Christ and I want to tell others, I'm willing to say, here am I, send me. But you're really not serious about processing your faith in your own life. There's just a part of me that wants to say, just keep your mouth shut. No, I'm not trying to be harsh. And, and there's many, all of us are struggling with sin. We've all got stuff in our life we need to clean up, get that when we're not perfect, etc. But some of us, we, 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 have, we, know, we have stuff in our lives we know is wrong in the eyes of God. And, and it does, just doesn't matter to us at all. You know, all of us, I, I, I've known this. I mean, you know, I, you get phrases. You know, I know this guy is a church girl and he's a Christian, but I would never want to do business with him because he's just not ethical. I really like that guy to keep his mouth shut. You know, because we don't need any more hypocrites kind of sharing the word, right? You know, I mean, it's the same. We, we have people that will come in and they'll say, and, and then there's some of the meanest, nastiest, most critical, harsh people in the world, bitterest people in the world. So part of me says, just, just stay quiet and let God fly over there with that coal <laughs> and heal some stuff. Others of us, we struggle with worldliness in our lives, whether it's related to, you know, drinking or our sexuality or whatever. And, 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 and there's a part of me that says, you know, I, I, I want you to be honest and struggle and get changed. But, but if you're not really confronted with stuff, there's a part of it. Just, just, just keep your mouth shut because it just, when we proclaim and, and, and there's not the credibility, yet God wants to make all of us credible by that cleansing and forgiving. But the rest of us, this is what I want to say. There's a part, there may be a sense of, of where we live this out with the credibility, but somewhere along the line, you have to open up your mouth and actually say something about God, right? You cannot, in the words of verse, say, in verse 9, say, you can't not go and say if you never say anything. <laughs> and, 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 and here's the thing. I think the vast majority of us, have lots of opportunities for spiritual conversations, and we never engage in them. Let me give you something kind of maybe a little bit frivolous, right? You know, and uh, we'll be done in just a few minutes, girls, all right? So, oops. Okay, all right. There, all right. Well, then come on in and have a seat with us. All right. Um, so some of our YEC kids are showing back up, so that's great. Um, so you're at work, right? And you got maybe you're, you're, you meet somebody after work and you're having coffee, or whatever, and they're just whining and complaining about how bad their boss is. It's just a wonderful opportunity to say, you know what? I'd be glad to pray for your boss and for you while you relate to them, right? You know, I mean, we have all kinds of opportunities for spiritual conversations, and we just don't ever step into it. And 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 God is the one standing. He's got this path. He's in the position. 
He has the right. He knows why he wants to ask. He wants to redeem the world. He wants to move them from a place of being ruined to be a place where they're filled and whole and healed and ready to... And, and, and he said, and you are the ones. You've experienced it. I want you to be the ones who talk about it and to go. So here's my challenge to you today because what really lays in the question is our response. What are we going to do with what it is that God's told us? You know, Isaiah didn't have any doubts. He said, ooh, 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 here I am. You know, he's the only guy in the temple as far as we can tell, but ooh, 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 here I am. You know, and that's going back to Welcome Back Carter for those of you who are a little younger than me, right? And he's saying, pick me, pick me, I'll go. And God's looking for our response. And so I think our response is twofold today. I think for some, we, we, are, we are in Isaiah's position before the seraphim flew over with the coal in his hand. And we need to experience God's forgiveness. We need to hear in our lives as we place our faith in Christ for the very first time, we need to hear God say to us, your sins are forgiven and you've been atoned for. And that's the decision we need to make today is we need to embrace God's forgiveness that he's given us in Jesus Christ. For some of the rest of us, we need to say, here am I. Send me. So we're going to do something a little different here, and, and I'm, I really want to tread lightly because I, I, I'm not trying to create a, a scenario. But, you know, I, as I thought about this message this week saying, you know what, if I'm willing to make a commitment to share my faith outside of these four walls, I, I certainly should be willing in the midst of these four walls to be willing to stand up and say, I'm in. And, 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 and I'm not, first of all, I, I want to caution I don't want everybody to stand up. Because, you know, I, I'm not that good of a preacher that all, all of you are committed to sharing your faith coming, this coming up a week. I, I just know that, right? So I, I don't want to make a mockery of this either. I, I don't want it to create a thing where we're one of these, where we do the lip service that could be the heart and soul of what Isaiah is really feeling. So I'll say this one thing to God, but I'm, gonna, I'm never going to fall. But I got to tell you what, if you're really open to saying to God, here am I, send me. I just want to invite you to stand. So I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes for just a minute. Bow your head. This is so out of character for us. But I, I think it's really important for us, like Isaiah, to be able to say to God, I'm in. You can count on me. And if you're willing to share your faith, I just invite you to stand. If you're, if you're just willing to be engaged in spiritual conversations as, with people as things go forward, I just invite you to stand. And I'd like to have a chance to, to pray for you for just a minute. God, I'm grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for where you are. God, we, we, we can so be in touch with the, the fact that the, the world is a place that's very distant from you. And they're not ready to step into your holiness. And I, I thank you for these folks that have stood today. You know, we're not any more spiritual than anybody else in this room. But you just have us in a position where we can genuinely express and share with others what you've told us about what it means to be forgiven in Jesus Christ. And God, I pray you'd honor these commitments, that, that these folks would just have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the, the, the mind that processes, the heart that's tuned in to see those spiritual opportunities in their lives, to share their faith with other people, to be the one that God speaks through 
as they share what you've already spoken into their hearts. So I ask you to bless them. And God, for those of us today who just really aren't in a position yet to stand there, it doesn't make us second-class Christians. It just makes us honest. And that's something that you've always been able to use. So God, I, I pray you'd work in our hearts because there's no greater privilege that we ha- than we have than to be able to be used of you to introduce somebody to the forgiveness that's, that's in Jesus Christ. So God, I pray for them. I thank you that, that, that just as these folks are taking the next step, that you would lead them to their next steps of getting closer to you. God, thank you that you love us, that you're speaking, and we invite you to continue to speak in our lives so that we have something to share with the world. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.